The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kat Sadler, and it sure is a beautiful day. After such a bleak year, it's time for some joy, and I cannot wait for you to hear my fresh and fun new show. I crack open about mom life, relationships, wellness, and beauty, all the things. Plus, I have provocative conversations with some of the most fascinating and famous faces in pop culture. I'm here to lift you up and make you think. Check out It Sure Is a Beautiful Day with me and you every Tuesday. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this episode, I've got Lily Singh. She has many things. She is an author, actress, entertainer. She's got so much going on and is such an inspiration to me and so many others. I really look up to her because she started on YouTube back in 2010, and she's really created a career of longevity for herself. Outside of being somebody who started on YouTube, she has now created a career for herself in mainstream media and has done so many things from being the first woman with a late night talk show on a major network. Now starring in a new show coming up on Disney Plus, an author with a new book that's available now. It's called Be a Triangle. We talk about all of these things and more. So if you guys want to hear from Lily, she is so inspirational. I think you guys will love this episode. So keep listening and don't forget to subscribe to my podcast because I've got new episodes every Tuesday. Now let's hear from Lily. So you first were on YouTube. You've been on for so long, over a decade now. But how did you even discover what YouTube was to upload your first video? Honestly, I feel like I was the last person out of my group of friends to understand what the internet was and what YouTube was. I remember in university, one of my friends was like, yo, you got to check out this website. It's called YouTube. People can upload their videos. And I vividly remember my response was, sounds lame. (laughs) And then I finally checked it out. And I was just so intrigued by all of these different types of people making videos in their houses about literally whatever they wanted. And I was like, oh, that's really cool that they can be creative and there's no gatekeeper. So I uploaded my first video and it was bad and I thought nothing of it and it was awkward and I'm so terrible on screen. But I fell in love with this idea that I could talk about whatever I wanted. And so, you know, one video led to another and led to another. And I kind of learned how to be a YouTuber, I guess. And then when you were growing up, did you feel like there was something in you that like, I want to be this creative person? Or did you think you were going to have a different career path? I think as a kid, I definitely always had the desire to be creative. I mean, I was that kid that wanted to be the center of the dance circle at parties performing Bollywood dance moves. And then I watched Ace of Cakes and I was like, I'm going to be a baker now. And I always would be drawn towards creativity. It Actually, fun fact, in my grade eight graduation, there was a slideshow presentation. You know, all the parents were there. And the idea was to present what you wanted to be when you grew up. So all of my classmates were like dressed up as doctors and teachers and lawyers. And then my picture came up and it was like rapper. And my parents were like, oh, my God. (laughs) So I think I always wanted to be creative. I just never thought it was a realistic job because I didn't know how I could ever get there. And did your parents have an idea of what they wanted you to be when you grew up? All Indian parents have ideas about what their kids want to be. And they're not ideas. They're more so facts. My parents, I think till this day, honestly, my dad still believes I'm going to be a lawyer. Like till this day. (laughs) But I think they definitely wanted me to go to law school. I was following my sister's footsteps. She has a degree in psychology. And so that's why I got my degree in psychology. And I was going to go and do counseling or something along those lines. But I don't think anyone really fully believed I would have a job in entertainment. 
So back then, becoming a YouTuber wasn't like it is today. Like there was not all of these like great people with amazing careers to look up to. So it was definitely like a risk starting at the mm-hmm. beginning because you didn't really know what it could become. But at the time, obviously, you believed in yourself. You did it full time. Your parents had this other idea for yourself. But how do you focus on yourself and your goals when maybe the people closest to you don't believe in what you want to be doing? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, and and I always say this with a grain of salt because you're exactly right. No one really understood in 2010 what YouTube could have been. So it's not like my parents were like being strict and didn't want me to do what I love. They were like, what are you talking about making videos online? And it was all really new for everyone. I think I just really believed in my ability to hyper focus on my goals because I always tell people like I have a lot, a lot of young people ask me, how can I convince my parents to let me do YouTube? How can I convince my parents to let me do whatever creative thing I want to do? And I always say, you got to work. It's not only about convincing your parents. It's about actually these jobs are really hard to make stable. It takes a lot of work, a lot of self-education. And I I would spend hours teaching myself how to edit, teaching myself how to write comedy, how to shoot, building a tripod out of books. You have to put in those hours. And I always say you have to love what you do more than you're scared of what other people think. And so it was really risky because I thought, what if YouTube disappears in a few years? What if this is not even a real thing? But I just believed in storytelling so much. And I believed in my ability to learn and pivot that I proved to myself. And and, and listen, when I first started YouTube, I remember the first brand deal I ever got literally was for $300. And I was like, oh my God, this is the the peak of my career. I'm never going to make more than $300 in a brand deal. And then, you know, you grow and you learn and you adapt. So I think it's about putting in those hours and really addressing the fear of risk and deciding that you love it more than you're scared of it. I know one of the first like sponsored things that I got, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe someone's paying me to do something. And I took that money and I bought my first computer so that I could edit my YouTube videos myself at home because I was like, I can't afford a videographer. I can't afford an editor. So I have to learn how to do everything by myself. Absolutely. I remember when I bought my first camera, I vividly remember $699. And I thought, oh my God, I could buy a house because I didn't know what money was. And I I bought this camera. And that for me was a big step because I was like, okay, you spent $700 on a camera. Every waking moment needs to be used, used using this camera. And so I remember all of those things were a huge, huge deal. And I think that's just part of the process. So at the beginning, you were trying like a couple different types of content. You ended up doing comedy. For a lot of people now, I think they're just trying to figure out like, okay, I want to be a YouTuber, a content creator, but I don't even know the type of content to create. So what advice do you have for them, for somebody who aspires to have a career like yours online? Yeah. You know, when I started making YouTube videos, you're right. I tried doing spoken word. I did some tutorials. I did more serious content. And then when I did comedy, the reason it stuck was because I actually had a lot of fun doing it. And I think people really undervalue passion and fun when it comes to content because content has become such a game. Like I need to do what the algorithm wants me to do and I need to do what performs well. But the thing with social media is it is really a 24-7 job and there is no boss. It is you making content on your own schedule, working as hard as you tell yourself to work. And so it's in your best interest to really pick content that you are genuinely passionate about because Otherwise, it will just be exhausting. Like, I really love comedy. The jokes I tell, I love talking about them. And the, and the concepts I talk about are ones I genuinely think about throughout my day. And so I think authenticity, I know it's like a big buzzword and fluff word that people use, but it's a big part of longevity. When you're authentic, it's easier to do what you're doing for a longer amount of time and put effort into it. But when you're putting on a facade about caring about something, that's when things get really exhausting. So whatever it is you're into, make content about that. And there will be an audience for it. 
And you just said longevity, which I think is such an important lesson that I think you can teach to the next generation of creators because yes, you started on YouTube, but you are not just a YouTuber. You have so many incredible things you're doing. We're going to talk about your new book. So you're an author, actress, entertainer, like just so many things. And I think there are creators who are like, okay, I want to get to this next level. Like, I don't want to be this thing that people telling me I'm an Instagram or a TikToker or a YouTuber. So how can someone make that shift? And what worked for you to go into mainstream media? Yeah. So I think what was important for me was that from the get-go, I knew I didn't just, not that anything's wrong with just being something, but I knew I aspired to be more than someone that made content on YouTube. And so I made decisions in accordance to that. You know, I knew that I could do the clickbait, buzzy route of getting a lot of views and doing things that would get those quick clicks, but maybe not really help my overall brand. But I didn't do that. I wanted to build a brand and I wanted to make sure that my my what I'm doing could last. And so I made choices in accordance to that. I'm a big believer of setting priorities and then only saying yes and no in accordance to those priorities. So if you're someone that makes content, let's say just on Instagram and you want to expand, make those decisions and meet those people and take those meetings that are going to take you off platform, even if they're not as shiny as the ones you get through Instagram. Like all of my growth has been me really climbing the ladder. You know, when I stopped, when I, when I stopped, I still do YouTube, but when I wanted to transition more into the traditional space, I would have to take like 30, 40, 50 general meetings <laughs> where it was me. You, If you know about a general meeting, it feels like an absolute waste of time. You're like, hello, my name is Lily. These are my followers. This is what I like. This is my hair. It's very cool. It's like just a, a kind of a waste of time. But you do those generals and you, and you climb that ladder so that people can, can learn about you and you have to kind of pay those dues. And it's tough when you have millions of followers on YouTube and now you're in a meeting with someone that's like, what do you do? But that's kind of the dues you have to pay. And so I'd always think, think about where you want to go and and take the meetings, meet the people and make the actions that get you there. Let's take a quick break to hear from Macy's. So Macy's is making moves to help people and the planet thrive together for a better future. So you guys can join Macy's in celebrating Earth Month by supporting the Community Schoolyards Project. Their mission is to transform underused blacktop playgrounds into beautiful green spaces. Just round up on your next in-store purchase or donate online to the Trust for the Public Land. So you guys can shop sustainable products and learn more about clean beauty business owners at macy's.com slash purpose. And I'm going to share with you guys some of my favorite brands and products to try. So one of the first products I want to tell you about is from Origins. It's a ginger body scrub. It is a smoothing body buffer and it smells delicious. It's got this ginger zest smell and it's really just going to exfoliate your skin. And then it's also got oils in it. So it's going to buff everything away, but also like moisturize your skin at the same time. And it just feels so nice after. I also love this product from Paracone MD. It's a no makeup blush and I love liquid blushes and how it looks on my skin. And this one just has a really natural looking flush of color and just like brightens and gives your skin like a little bit of color for it. And Paracone also has a no makeup highlighter. So I put the liquid blush on first and a little bit of the highlighter on afterwards. And it just gives you like this little subtle luminosity. Another product you guys might love if you're looking for something for your hair is Verbs Volume Dry Texture Spray. I love dry texture spray. It works really great on my hair if you have like fine or thin or flat hair and you're looking for texture and volume, but just like weightless at the same time. Their products are vegan and cruelty-free and mindfully made. So join Macy's in celebrating Earth Month and you can shop all these brands and more at macy's.com slash purpose. What were some of the people that you invested in in your team that could help you even get to those meetings or get to that next level? Because I know it's really hard being self-employed and creating everything yourself Mm -hmm. to start to invest in that because it's like, oh, well, do I really need this person? But I think to grow, you do need to, you know, spend money to make money. 
So I'm real with you. I'm a really cheap person. Mary, you know this. You know, <laughs> you know me personally. You know, you can attest to the fact that I'm a very, very cheap person. I had this issue when I first started where I was like, why do I need to pay anyone to do anything? I'll just stay up all night and I'll do it myself. And that had a lot to do with control. You know, I thought I could do everything the best. I wanted to control every part of my brand. And I also didn't want to spend money. A big part of me growing my business has been letting go of that control. And it's something I still struggle with. But I've learned that to be the smartest boss you can be, you have to sometimes put yourself in the position where you are the dumbest in the room. And what I mean by that is I want an editor who can edit better than I can. I want to be dumber than you at editing because it makes me smart to hire you to edit my stuff. I want my agent to be way better at negotiating deals than I am. So the smartest thing you can do as a boss is build a team around you that has an expertise that they're better than you at so that you can then focus on the things that all of them cannot do. You know, now the way I look at my day is how much time am I dedicating to things that only I can do? If I'm spending a bunch of time doing logistical things, doing admin stuff, then I'm not really stepping into my magic and power and I need to adjust something. So I've really learned to delegate, hire, and I've learned that spending money makes you money. If you're in the position to hire people, you will probably make more money because you have more time doing what you can do. So you just talked about control, which I think, you know, for so many of us, it's really difficult to let go of because you are your own brand. So like the brand of Lily Singh is you. So I know it's difficult because there's only like so much you can delegate. But was it really hard to, for you to go from like online where you can be in control of everything, your content to traditional Hollywood where you had to go in for auditions? So it's not up to you. And then the content is taking longer and then people are really in control of the final product instead of you being involved in it. Absolutely. Yes. 1000%. Yes. Uh-huh. For sure. Is my answer. Um, it was, really, I mean, the first time I ever walked on a set, I I remember I, I just walked on and I started acting and the director was like, I need to yell action. And I was like, excuse me, you need to do what? What do you mean? You're going to yell action and I'm going to go on your action. It was such a learning curve for me to understand that I wasn't going to control every facet. And honestly, it's still something I struggle with. You know, I, I just did a, a guest role in this Hulu show called Dollface. And the whole time I'm like doing my lines and acting. But at the back of my hand, I'm like, OK, so what's the social strategy? Like, are we going to use this as like a social strategy on Instagram? And I'm like, shut up. This is not your job. This is your job is to act. It is to kiss Shay Mitchell. This is your job. Nothing else is your job right now. So I'm getting used to it and I'm learning. But having said that, I think it's a little bit of my superpower. I think me and you, Mare, and everyone else as a content creator, we have a little bit of a superpower where we can do multiple things and we understand the bigger picture. I can see more than just the scene I'm shooting. I can see the whole show. I can see the edit. I can see how it's marketed. I can see the billboard. I can see all of that. And so I kind of step into that superpower, but it has definitely, yes, been an adjustment for me. Okay, well, first of all, if anyone hasn't seen the new season of Dollface, it's so good. You're so great in it. Like the show is so funny. And you have a new show that you just announced too. This is your first time starring in a show. Yeah, leading a show. It's a Disney show. I know. That's so crazy. The Muppets Mayhem, which I'm very hype about. Fun fact that the top left very first thing on my vision board is Disney Plus. So I believe I manifested this entire audition because I put up that vision board before I got this audition. And there's like four humans in the show and I'm one of them. I feel like you are a a master manifester like you. And I think there's a thing with vision boards. So people ask me all the time, how do you make a vision board? I'm like, really, it's pictures, but it's not anything if you're not actually doing something to make these goals possible. You can't just like put pictures on a board and like hope it's going to happen. I love that you said that because I do feel and I'm going to have to call out some millennials and some Gen Zers. 
I think there's people think of manifestation as an all or nothing. So they either think that, oh, manifestation doesn't work at all. You have to really work hard. Or they think, oh, I'll just put some pictures on a board and then things will come to me. It progress is in the middle. It's not all or nothing. I think it's important to have your vision board so you know where you want to go. But then you need to take the actions to get where you want to go. So it's a combination of direction and a lot of hard work. But I completely believe in vision boards. I completely believe in the power of manifestation. I feel like that's 90% of my career. Okay, so vision board, I want to talk about this. So how do you put together your vision board? How do you decide like what makes it on there? Yeah, so I am a big believer of literally seeing where I want myself to go. So I won't just put magazines on my vision board. I will Photoshop myself on the cover of the magazine I want to be on so I can see myself on that magazine. This is actually, I never talked about this before. So before I got the Muppets, when I was auditioning, I wanted it so, so badly. I actually photoshopped my name as the character name as it would appear in the credits of the show. So I created the credits of the show before I got the role because I just kept staring at it thinking one day I'm going to be in my living room. I'm going to look on Disney Plus. I'm going to see this credit of my name as this character. (laughs) So I'll do things like that. My vision board. This is not a joke. This is a fact. You know this mirror. My vision board is in my shower because I'm that serious about my visions. (laughs) Last year, it was in the back of my closet because let's be real. I'm a Vision boards are not the most aesthetically pleasing. Let's just be real. And my house is full of neutrals. It has a neutral color palette. And I was like, I'm not trying to put this on my wall and mess up my aesthetics. So I had it in the back of my closet. But because of that, I rarely saw it. And I really connected with it. So this year, I was like, "Mm -mm." I put it, I taped it to the glass wall outside of my shower. So every day-ish, when I take a shower, I, I look at it. And it has been the biggest game changer. Because those visions are just in my mind all the time now. I think it's great because you shared something with me too, that basically like when you're doing things throughout your day or when you're deciding the things to say yes or no to, you're going back to this vision board of like, is this thing in alignment with what my goals are? Even if it's a really great opportunity, if it's not in alignment, it's taking your time away from the things you're actually trying to work towards. Yeah. And you know, something I learned about this industry, and I think it's true across just multiple industries and even in our personal life, there's always so much noise. Do you want to do this? Do you want to hang out? Do you want to go to this event? There's so many ways to get distracted. And a lot of it's really, really cool and really fun. But I decided at the top of this year that there was like a handful of things I wanted to prioritize this year. And so if I get an email in my inbox that's like really shiny and cool collab with this person, I will take that opportunity and measure it against a set of questions that are, does this align with my goals? Is this going to help with any of these goals? And if it does not, I say no to it. Because otherwise, I will just constantly be saying yes and getting distracted. Yeah, I feel like it's really difficult. Okay, so one of the things that you focused on and you've made time for it was your new book and it's it's out now. It's called Yay. Be a Triangle. Yes. So what is the difference between Be a Triangle and Be a Boss? So How to Be a Boss was my first book. And a lot of people are like, oh, do you not believe in one now and believe in the other? So I think it shows the natural progression of me. How to Be a Boss was about hustling and how to achieve your dreams and, and vision boards and networking with people. And Be a Triangle is more about, okay, now that you have those things, what do they actually mean? It goes a lot deeper. It's a lot more spiritual. It's about how we assign value to things. And a little bit about why I decided to write this book. I'll be real. Writing a book is very hard. Let me just first say, writing books is very, very hard. And when I wrote How to Be a Boss, I knew exactly what the book was going to be about. You know, I knew all the chapters. I already knew the advice I wanted to offer people. And I told myself after that book, you're never writing another book again. This was very, very hard. And I cried a lot and all of my hair turned white. And then the pandemic hit and I got asked to do another book. And I thought, huh, I don't have anything else to do. I should write another book. But this book was really hard because the things I talk about in Be a Triangle, I actually didn't know in advance. 
the advice I was trying to offer, I didn't already have it in me. I had to learn every single thing I write about in this book. And the reason I decided to call it Be a Triangle and what the book is about is, I don't know if you can relate, but during the pandemic, obviously we all had a really tough time. I think most people can relate to the fact that we had schedules that got cleared. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. We didn't know what to do with our time. My reality went a little beyond just being bored. I'm sad to say that when my work went away and when my travels went away, I felt like I had no value. I felt like I had no purpose. Like I kind of ceased to exist as a human, which was a very scary thing because it became apparent to me that I actually define myself by the jobs I do and the relationships I'm in and the people I see and the events I go to and the places I travel. And when all of that went away, I didn't know how to be a human anymore. And so I realized that's because I've never done the work to figure out, well, who do you want to be aside from those things? And what are your values? And where do you want to go without always relating it back to work? Uh, And this is the work that we were never encouraged to do as kids. You know, we were never in school told to like, think about your life like this and structure. So I did that work. And I decided I needed to build a really, really strong foundation for my life. Then I got onto Google and I Googled and the strongest structural shape that has the strongest foundation is a triangle. So I decided I need to be a triangle and build a strong foundation for my life. I love that. And actually, in the beginning of the book, you said that when you wrote it, you were just feeling kind of sucky. And I know a lot of us do go through phases in our life where we're not feeling so great, but we still have work to do, life to show up for. So how do you motivate yourself when you're feeling in that stage? Well, that was a big part of what I struggled with. I think for most of my life, I've always let what's happening in my day dictate my mood. So, for example, if I got like a great role on a show, I'd be like, oh, everything is great. I'm so grateful today. I have great values. I know who I want to be. And the next day, if I failed at something, I would think, oh, what's even the point of trying? Like, I'm so ungrateful. Life sucks. And, And my moral compass would shift so much depending on what was happening in my day. And I didn't like that. I'm like, in my life where anything could happen on any day, I don't want to be subject to such great shifts in my attitude and my mental state and and honestly in my spirituality. And so what I have done is I've come up with a set of a place to return to essentially spiritually no matter what happens in my day. And I write about it in the book as being a relationship to myself, a relationship to the universe, understanding distraction and implementing design into my life. And those are four things I can do no matter what happens in my day. So it's kind of like Yes, experiencing life, but not letting the ups and downs of life completely change who I am as a person. And are you doing these things like daily on your routine? Do you do like morning or night or how are you incorporating these things so you keep that strong foundation? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I do try to meditate every day ish. I'd be lying if I said I actually do it every day. I give myself grace on the days I'm not able to do it. But I do try to connect with myself a lot and really reflect on my experiences. That's all it is. It's not about adding a bunch of... See, this is the thing. My book is not about adding a bunch of new routines to your day. Because realistically, who has the time for that? If I write a book and they're like, now you need to do these 75 things every day to be happy, I'd be like, ugh, so much work. It's really about reorganizing the things that are already within you. So now I just think about things a little differently. You know, for example, relationship with myself. I think about how I'm defining myself in a situation. Prime example, we just talked about that great role I got. When I got that role, I really had to talk to myself and be like, hey, super cool, but you are not defining yourself as someone now that has this role on the show. That is your job. It is part of your job. It is not who you are. So it's just kind of reframing things that affect me and my relationship with the universe, if that makes sense. And then as far as like a relationship with yourself, was there anything that you did in the last two years where you're like, this is a game changer. Most people need to try this thing out. 
Ooh, I mean, so many things. I know, Mary, you're a very fit person, and perhaps a lot of your listeners are a very fit person. I was not a very fit person because I really subscribe to this idea that to be successful, I had to sacrifice my body constantly. And I don't know if people can relate to this, but I am a believer that, yes, at some point in your career, when you're starting out, you need to pull the all-nighters, you need to do all that stuff. But I think so often we get caught in the habit of thinking that has to be our life forever. And I got caught in that habit of being like, oh, I've done this for 10 years. This needs to be the rest of my life. I need to do this. But no, the reason we work hard is so that we can call the shots and we can earn our stripes to do what we want to do and do what we love to do. But so often we forget that that is the goal because we get caught up in the chase and we just keep living that race. So something I have changed now in my mind is actually believing I can be successful while not constantly sacrificing my body. So I changed the way I ate. I started drinking more water. I started working out a little bit. I've lost a bunch of weight, but it wasn't even about the weight. It was about just how I felt, how I felt spiritually and mentally. And so my my silly answer is something you should try is unsubscribing to the ideas that have always held you back. Like really recognize what those ideas are and realize they're ideas and not facts and and live your life in accordance to the things that will actually benefit you. And one of the chapters in here, you talk about understanding distraction. And we already talked about how you say no to certain things that's not in alignment to who you want to be. But there's even distractions of like daily things that come up in our life and like big and small things. So how do you deal with distractions because I know it's so hard for all of us and especially when I know like how much you care about your friendships and the people in your life and you want to be there for them but like there's only so much to your capacity absolutely I think there's different types of distractions you know there's definitely the the little hiccups in the day when your roommate's talking a lot your dog is barking sure 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 those are all all manageable we can figure that out I think for me the deeper distractions are the things that take us away from the type of person we want to be And what I mean by that is some mornings we wake up and we feel really, really grateful because the sun is shining. We have a great day ahead of us. And then we hit traffic and then you get a call, an annoying call from your friend. And then things go a little bit astray and you stop feeling grateful. I define those things as distractions because it's taking me away from a place that I know is beneficial for me. And the reason I call that stuff distraction is because I I want to always be a grateful person. But realistically, that's not possible. We're not always going to feel grateful. Sometimes we're going to feel like life sucks. We're going to feel jealous and we're going to feel upset. So how I think about distractions is experience all those emotions, be upset, be jealous, do all the things, but know that the goal is always to go back to the place you want to be, which is grateful. And that really changed my life because sometimes I would get stuck in the other place. I would get stuck in being jealous, stuck in being upset, convince myself that's where I belong now. But no, that's just a distraction from where I actually want to be, which is the land of gratitude. And so who is this book for? Like, who do you want to pick this up? Honestly, my really honest answer is this book is for me. (laughs) I really believe that out of anything I've done in my entire career, out of all the videos, all, all the documentaries, anything I've ever done, this has been the project that has helped me the most. I use what I wrote in this book the most in my daily life. And because of that, I really do believe in its ability to be a gift to other people. I think this book is for anyone who feels like, their emotions also shift in accordance to whatever is happening in their life, that they just can't figure out their foundation. They can't figure out their direction. They don't really know who they completely are because they've they've not done the work to figure that out. To be real, it's also for a lot of kids of immigrants. I talk a lot about generational trauma. I talk about some of the tools and behaviors that have been passed down to us that are no longer beneficial to us. So I think it's about people that are wanting to do the work on their life, who are ready to actually put in the time and commitment to reflect 
be honest, be vulnerable, and do the work. And where can everybody get the book? You can get the book at lilysingbook.com. It is available in many, many territories. It's available in uh, Canada, Team Canada, U.S., Singapore, Australia, U.K. I don't know if I said India already, uh, South Africa, uh, New Zealand. everywhere. We're all getting it. A lot of places. lilysingbook.com. A lot of places. Let's take a quick break to talk about vitamins and supplements. So you guys know I overall try to eat really healthy and well and take care of myself. But just because I try to eat all of the good things in my life doesn't mean I'm getting all the nutrients and stuff that I need for my body. There are definitely like some gaps of things that I need extra help with. And that's where vitamins and supplements come into play. So I know that I need these things. I'm not getting them from food, but like, where do I even start? And I know that that can be really confusing of what do I take? What do I take daily? How much am I supposed to take? Well, that's where Parallel comes in. So Parallel is the only OBGYN founded vitamin for women, and they just launched their women's daily vitamin trio. So they're really unlike other brands because their founding doctors were able to apply their clinical insights to the product development process. So that's why Parallel prides itself as a complete and functional vitamin solution. So earlier I was like, how do we know how much of something to take? Well, did you know that high doses of biotin can really throw off your lab results and lead to misdiagnosed thyroid issues? So that's why Parallel only uses 30 micrograms, which is also the recommended dietary allowance by the Food and Nutrition Board. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you guys already know this is what I take every single day. So I take the trio. It's a 30-day supply. It comes with these packets and each of them have three vitamins that work perfectly together to cover all of your bases. You're going to get a multivitamin, an omega, and a beauty blend capsule, and it is only $38 a month. Plus, exclusively for Life with Mariana listeners, Parallel is offering 15% off your first three months of Parallel with code Mariana15. Head to P-E-R-E-L-E-L.co for 15% off. And if you don't love it, you can cancel at any time and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's Parallel.co and use the code Mariana15. So something that I really admire about you is that you're willing to do things that you haven't done before and you're willing mm-hmm. to like put yourself out there. Yep. So how can someone get over the fear of trying something new or the fear of failure? So I know this is a little bit of a cliche, but I really believe that if you look at things practically and logically, and I'm a very logical person, I actually always try to make decisions based on logic. And I, I'm, I'm someone who makes to-do lists and makes diagrams. If you actually look logically at any one success, a crucial part of it has always been failure. In fact, many people could not get to where they are unless they failed. So I know people always say failure is not failure. It's a step in the right direction, but it actually is. The only way you know something is possible is because you tried it a way where it didn't work and found out that way was impossible. And the best example I give of this is some of my best achievements came because I failed at something else, but someone was in the room while I failed and then reconnected with me years later and said, hey, remember that room you failed in? Well, I actually think you'd be great in this room. And then they put me in a new room and I actually succeed in that room. So failure is literally just a stepping stone. And that's how you should view it. We should really eliminate the emotional connection we have with failure when we feel bad and when we feel like uh, we're personally feels. We should not take failure personally. It is truly just part of the blueprint to get to where you need to get. I know. And life is long. So it's like we have a very long life and career ahead of us. So when we're like much older, we won't even really probably remember things that happen in our 20s. I think another thing we should all think about is like, I always ask the question, what kind of person would you be if you never failed? Would you want to hang out with that person? Like, Would you want to have deep conversations with that person? Would you want advice from that person? That person sounds kind of whack, to be honest. (laughs) Someone who has failed a lot is the type of person I want to have a conversation with because they actually have something to bring to the table. So you've got a lot going on in your life and your schedule. What does your day look like? What are you doing every day? What time do you get up? 
what time do I get up? No, I don't um, get it up. really do, it really depends on what I'm doing in the day. I can get up at 7 a.m. if a shoot requires it. Or if I get to decide, I'll wake up at 10 a.m. I love sleep. I won't lie. My day looks really, really different. Nowadays, my day is, you know, this is my third podcast of the day because I'm promoting the book. I might have a shoot. So that's two hours in hair and makeup plus a shoot. I usually am reading a script or tweaking a script or giving notes on a script because I have a production company as well. A lot of emails and a lot of not a lot of I would say like every every Friday I try to do creative work. So every Friday is my day to be like, I'm doing no admin stuff. I'm just doing creative work. Well, my days look really, really different. And then is there anything that you do to help you schedule out and manage all of your time, you know, between all the projects? Yeah, I do live by my calendar. So same. I will, I, I live by my calendar. We're the same person. I'm me and you, you are me. But I will put down everything. So if I need to have a meeting at two, but I need to prep for that meeting from one to two, I'm prepping for the meeting and that's in my schedule. I think a lot of people fail in that regard because they just put the, the things they need to attend in their calendar without realizing all the stuff mentally they need to prepare for to get to that event. So I live by my calendar for sure. I also am doing this new thing, like I said, because I have this new set of priorities, I will actually hold my calendar against those priorities. So if there's meetings where I'm like, this does not need my bandwidth, this does not require my involvement, someone else can handle it, I won't attend it. And I'll only put myself in the rooms where I actually need to be there and my magic needs to be in that room. And I feel like you've done a really great job of now having like boundaries around your work and taking care of yourself. So what do you like to do in your free time and how do you unplug? Well, it's funny you ask this, Mariana Hewitt, because (laughs) I have been learning a new word called boundaries with my therapist. And this sounds silly to say, but I never practiced boundaries before. I was like really bad at boundary setting. And it didn't occur to me until my therapist said, you know, you can say no. And I thought, wait, what? Say no. But I've been getting better at boundary setting. So now, unless it's absolutely crucial because of like a time zone thing or something, I will not work on the weekends. I will do leisure things on the weekends. I will try to do one leisure thing every night, whether it's reading, watching a movie. I'll have a cutoff time for work. Today, I did something crazy, Mary. You know what I did? I blocked off an hour for lunch. Wow. I know that. Sa- I know. I know that sounds very common sense, but I was noticing that I would not have some downtime in the middle of the day for lunch. So I'm really just trying to, you know what it is? I think it's, I'm a very all or nothing type person. And I think before I believed it's either hustle, 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 or it's vacation. But progress is in the middle. And so now I'm building my life where it's like, no, you will hustle for five, six hours. And then you have to regain that energy somehow, Lily. So I think about it more as energy than time. If I spent so much of my energy today, then that means tonight I have to replenish it. Or that means in the weekend I have to replenish it. It's about that energy exchange. There was this like a TikTok or something I saw. I was talking about boundaries and I'm probably going to butcher what they said, but they said boundaries are not there to get rid of the other things in our life. It's there to keep them in our life. And I'm like, wow, that's such a great way to frame it because I'm not putting up this boundary with a family or friend or something because I don't want it. It's because I do want them, but like Mm -hmm. I need them in this very specific way. That's bars. That's absolutely bars. Something I really struggled with and I write about this in the book is the reason I learned about boundaries so late, and I'm curious if any, if your audience relates to this, is my, I, I was born in Indian culture and older Indian people do not believe in boundaries. My parents have called me selfish many, many times when I've made choices for myself or I've tried to set a boundary. My mom would literally be like, what, what boundary? What? She does, is not about it at all. And I've had to really come to terms with that and understand where that comes from. You see, the older generation, when they when they get mad at our boundaries, it's not because they hate us or they want us to be unhappy. It's because they never had the luxury of setting boundaries in their life. 
because they were in survival mode so, so often. Like my parents were born in India with a billion other people fighting for resources. They didn't have time for therapy or self-care or downtime. And now here I am in North America being like, mom, I can't talk to you right now because it's me time. And she's like, what are you talking about, actually? So I've just learned that a lot of these behaviors and attitudes we have come from our parents. And we need to learn that they're no longer beneficial for our, our time and place. So I've really had to identify where this thinking comes from. And that has helped me a lot. So my last question is, because I know he's the love of your life. What is something <laughs> that you've learned about life or love from your dog, Scarborough? Oh, my God. I was hoping you were going to say Scarborough. I'm like, this is either going to be Scarborough or Drake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something I have learned. Okay. You know what I've learned from Scarborough is I can have a day where I do feel like a complete failure where I'm like, oh man, nothing worked out the way I wanted it to work out. And it's like, I got rejected by so-and-so and it didn't, I just feel like crap. And then I come home and Scarborough will run up to me and greet me as if I am his hero. And my dog has really taught me the true definition of unconditional love. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know if unconditional love can truly exist with humans because I feel like and if you're and if you're listening to this and you're like, no, I love my boyfriend unconditionally. If your boyfriend murdered someone, I just want to would you greet them like their dog would greet them? I, I dare you to ask yourself that question because he's really taught me the value of just lack of judgment and loving someone because you love them. And that is something I just aspire to be. That's so cute because I was like, I got to ask about Scarborough. You have to ask about Scarborough. Everything is about Scarborough. This house is for Scarborough. Everything's about Scarborough. Yes. Uh, so where can everybody buy the book? Where can they find you? Yeah. So you can follow me on socials from most socials. It's at Lily. L-I-L-L-Y. Yes, there's three L's because my parents hate me. And LilySingBook.com is where you can get the book. And otherwise, I'll probably be hanging out with Mir. So uh, you can just find me <laughs> next Together. to Mir. I'll be the person with the slightly less better skin. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me. And follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.